as I read Luke 22, verses 24 through 38. Hear the word of the Lord. And there arose a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you. But the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom And you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today. Until you have denied me three times, denied three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out without money belt or bag and sandals, you did not lack anything, did you? They said, no, nothing. And he said to them, but now whoever has a money belt is to take it along. Likewise, also a bag. And whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. For I tell you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with transgressors, for that which refers to me has its fulfillment. They said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We confess that it is your word. That you have breathed out scripture through inspired writers. And by your providential preservation, you have brought that word to bear to us today. In our language, translated faithfully, that we may read and that we may hear and that we may understand. Lord, would you remove any fleshly misunderstanding? But even more so, Lord, would you remove spiritual hard-heartedness? Would you remove the deception by which the adversary blinds the minds of the unbelievers? That the light of your word, the light of the gospel might be driven home today. So Lord, open our eyes and our ears, soften our hearts. And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So, Lord, would you speak to us? Oh, God, now would you speak? Father in heaven, speak to us. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. May be seated. Maxine was in here a second ago. Y'all pray for Maxine. 
Um, her brother passed away yesterday. Um, he'd been struggling and but been not well. Uh, so say a prayer for her, encourage her. She's not gonna not gonna make a big deal out of it, you know, Maxine. But um, I can't imagine the uh, the the pain. And so um, I would encourage you to pray for her. Uh, on a lighter note, that sweet Holy Spirit. I did a um, I did a wedding in January in Spartanburg, some friends, and I you know I do the service right out the service, and for some reason I thought they had someone to like help with the singing. They had a they had a congregational song, and I get there and they said, "Hey, will you will you lead it?" And I'm like, I'm a, you know I can rel- for the for the Baptist hymnal. There's there's a I have a pretty good spread of like I can I can carry a tune with some of those. But they pick that one. And if you know sweet Holy Spirit, it gets, you know. And so I told them, I was like, I'm going to do my best, but like turn my mic down. The way, if you don't know, sweet Holy Spirit, and it goes, sweet Holy. It's like all of a sudden, it's like, it just shoots up there. And I kept, and there's a pianist. And I was like, can we like drop it? Like, and she would not do it. She wouldn't, she would not help me out at all. I think she was a little bit of a sadist. She was like just enjoying watching me squirm. But um, it was a good time, and nobody, nobody made me feel bad about it afterwards. So uh, they were like, oh, I didn't know you could sing. And I was like, I really can't. You know, it should be, should be apparent right now. Oh, well. Uh, but there's, there's really no segue from that to this. So I'm just going to crafty introduction. That's not what that was. Uh, we are, we're continuing in Luke, Luke, uh, got Luke's gospel. We're coming in this, uh, this, this latter part of, uh, of Luke where Jesus is in Jerusalem. You know, we, we, we picked up in, in chapter 19 after like three years of a break in Luke. And we've been looking at Jesus's ministry in Jerusalem, that final week of his life. And so we picked up with the triumphal entry and we've seen some of his teaching. And last week we talked about the Lord's Supper, uh, this kingdom meal that Jesus gives not just to his apostles, but he gives to his church. And we uh, participated in the Lord's Supper together. And now uh, there's a transition into Chapter 22, the latter half of chapter 22, there's teaching that we're about to get into. But by the end of it, you have the betrayal of Jesus. The the machinery of betrayal is up and running. You have the Garden of Gethsemane. You have Jesus being betrayed by Judas. You have Jesus' arrest. You have Peter denying Jesus. You have the devastation, right? After Peter realizes his denial, the the after the rooster crows, you have Jesus turning and almost locking eyes with Jesus. And, and Peter's absolutely devastated by his betrayal. Uh, P- Peter's be- just devastated when he realizes that, you know, what Jesus said was going to happen actually happened. And then we have this uh, beginning at the end of it, 66 through 71, uh, the beginning of, of unjust trials that the miscarriage of justice by those who are entrusted to uphold justice. It begins with a religious court, the Sanhedrin, which is the religious rulers, the elders of uh, Judaism, of Jerusalem. And then in ne- next week, we'll talk about Jesus and the powers that be as he encounters Pilate and Herod and Pilate's sort of going back and forth with Jesus and the back and forth with the crowd. But those who are entrusted to uphold justice actually miscarry it. And so, and then we have the crucifixion and, and spoiler, spoiler alert, right? He doesn't stay dead. He rises by the end of it. So, uh, but Easter's coming. 
Uh, but here we have this odd, it just, and it shouldn't be odd to me, uh, but it is odd that there's two times in, in Luke's gospel where Jesus' disciples have an argument about who's the best. It's like the, the, the writer, Luke the writer has been at too many pastor's meetings. There's always a, who, what's your attendance? How's it going? What's your budget? Yeah, how many baptisms? How many this? How many that? How much this? How much that? They've been, been too many South Carolina Baptist Convention meetings um, or Southern Baptist Convention. I'm sure the Methodists and the Presbyterians do it too. But uh, we, we love our numbers and our stats. Every year we have to produce a, an, I guess it's an, an annual church report, right? Program, something. And, it, and it's, you have to tell all of the attendance and all how, your budget and how many baptisms you had. Now, how many people, you know, that are left-handed and how pe- many people that are right-handed? How many people, you know, drive, can drive a stick shift? And not really. That, they don't get that detail. But it's like poor Blanche has to fill out all this stuff. Um, so that's why we have to keep some of the records that we keep. But there's this great dispute arises among them as to who will be the greatest. It's almost a mirror of their, their fight in chapter 9. If you look at chapter 9, verse 46, they begin, they're going back and forth there. Who's the greatest? And, and Jesus turns them to, to the little children and says, be more like that. Be more like this child. Here he does something different to, to kind of settle the, the, the dumb argument that they're having. Uh, and there arose a dispute among them as to which one of them was the greatest. And he said, the kings of the, the Gentiles lorded over them. And those who have authority over them are called benefactors, that there is this status, there's a, a caste system in authority in the world. There are those who are the powerful and those who aren't, those who have the money and those who don't. And, there's, and then you are acting like your paradigm of thought in terms of leadership and how things ought to be in the kingdom of God. You're thinking too much like the world. And he brings them this image of a table, right? They're, they're still at the table. They're still around the Lord's Supper. They're still at this Passover meal. And uh, <clears throat> could you, anyway, they're, they're at this Passover meal and they say, who's greater as we're, as we're laying here at the table? Is it greater to you and in the economy of the world? Is it greater to be the one who is sitting down being served or laying down being served or is it greater to be the one who's actually serving? The, the paradigm, the model, the pattern of the world says you ought to be the one. You want to be the one that people are serving. Every now and again, Sarah Beth and I went to a, uh, an all, a long time ago at our honeymoon. We haven't, anyway, we went to a, an all-inclusive uh, resort for our honeymoon in St. Lucia. And uh, I didn't do enough research about this, you might know this part of the story, that St. Lucia's like crop is bananas. Like this is what they do. And if you know my wife, like bananas like kill her. They will kill her. Not like, it's like anaphylaxis, EpiPen, hospital. And so we get there and, and bananas in everything. It's in, it's in the coffee. It's in the, it's in the ketchup. It's everywhere. And so we went to the, the little chef. You know, it's a, it's a, they have all of this food. And and we have to have this conversation about allergies. And we tell the chef, uh, we meet with the head chef and says, you know, we have these allergies. And he said, well, come meet me before you have a meal. And so we go to the first, first day. You know, we're like all honeymooners and everything. First day, and there's all this food. And I'm like, I'm so excited. 
And then he, he guy comes in and, he, and we tell him she's allergic to bananas. And we're talking, it felt like, you know, yards, you know, a football field of, of uh, buffets, various buffets. And literally he's going around. This. And he's like just passing over a hundred items. And eventually there's like three things. Say I'm lying. Don't say I'm lying. But it's true. Um, but when you're on your honeymoon, you want to be served. And you could have, if, you know, if I had the bankroll, I could have upgraded to have the butler service. You know, you get the, the front row, front of the beach, and then you get a butler. And if you've ever seen like something like Batman, like that's a status symbol, especially if you have an Alfred. But, uh, but you know, you get, you get a butler. You have people that serve you, the people that open your door for you and, you know, help you get out of your Rolls Royce or your Bentley or whatever you guys drive. I know all of you have Bentleys in the garage at home. Uh, but, but that's the image of the world, right? This is, this is you've arrived. You're, you're powerful. You're rich. You have people serving you. You have people bringing you food. They bring you your newspaper. They bring you your coffee. That might just be your spouse, and then you're really lucky. But you, you but step, stepped into something I don't want to step into right there. Um, but you see the pattern of the world. Be served. Don't serve. Right? When you go to, go to a restaurant... And you drop all your food on the floor because you're a messy eater. Do you spend the time, unless it's Texas Roadhouse and it's peanuts, do you spend the time going up, I need to sweep up my stuff? I'm not saying that you should, uh, unless you have small children, then we do our best, you know, uh, because it's like an atom bomb of crumbs. Uh, but but that's, part of the, that's part of the experience, part of what you're paying for when, when you're going to a restaurant. And what Jesus is saying, certainly you understand the parallel that the, to be powerful, to be accomplished, to have arrived means that you are one who has people serve you. So who's who's greater, the one who's sit, sitting down on their rump being served or the one who's up and about serving? Well, it's the one the, the one who would be powerful in the eyes of the world or greater in the eyes of the world is the one who's sitting down being served. And then Jesus has this, like, the end of 27, if you're a highlighter, underliner, star person in your Bible, it is, like, mind-blowing when, when you begin to put all these pieces together. Because he says, but I'm among you as the one who serves. Who is this that we're taught? Well, this is the King of glory. Lift up your heads, O gates. Let the King of glory come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord. Mighty in battle. And he says, I'm among you as the one who serves. There should be some neuron, some synapse in our brain that just exploded a little bit. Hopefully not literally, but you understand. Like it, that, it goes completely against how this world continues to operate. That the greatest and the powerful among them would be the one who comes to serve. And this, this paradigm, this pattern of the kingdom overshadows everything that Jesus is about to do in his passion. That Jesus comes in his passion, I mean by his death, his suffering, his betrayal, the mockery, all the things that Jesus endures are under the banner that he has arrived in this situation as the one who is to serve. Matthew 10, 45, and it shows up also in, I mean, Mark 10, 45, it shows up also, I think, in Matthew chapter 20. Um, But the Son of Man came 
not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Thank you for not turning that into Mad Libs. But there, it, he came to serve. He came to serve. And, and this is the, 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 and a part of me, I just can't quite, he left the holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, this heavenly throne room with angels singing back antiphonally, back and forth for all of eternity. There's glory and there's radiance and there's brilliance beyond our, our com- comprehension. And he says, I'm going to come love them. And a part and parcel with Jesus' love is that Jesus comes to serve us. And this is the uncomfortable, scandalous posture of grace. If we will be people who receive the grace of God, then we must come to the point of saying, the King of glory has served me. He came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So before we talk about you going and serving this world, you must first be served by Jesus. You must first say, I look upon his suffering. I look upon his mocking. I look upon his weakness and his frailty at his final week of his life. And I look upon the cross and I say, Jesus certain died for me, but he is serving me there. You remember that great picture of service in John chapter 13 where Jesus puts a towel around his waist and he bends down to wash the feet and Peter's like no 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 you can't wash me and I think it's verse 8 Jesus says if I don't wash you you don't have me if I don't serve you you can't have me If I don't serve you, you can't have new life. You can't have redemption. You can't have forgiveness. You must be served, sinner. And to be served, it means that you have to give up on saving yourself. You have to give up on saying, I'm going to serve Jesus so much. Look at all that I'm going to do. To serve Jesus, I'm going to become a preacher, or I'm going to go on the mission field, or I'm going to go tell all of my neighbors that they should go believe in Jesus, or go to church, or I'm going to feed all of the hungry. I'm going to give all of my food away. I'm going to give all of my money away. You have to come to the point of saying, I can't serve him enough. I must stop and be served. I have to receive what he gives. And that is, not only is it contrary to the whole pattern of this world, that the lesser, us, would be served by the greater, but it goes against the pattern of this world that you, we, would have to stop and receive before we could go and do. And dear ones, this is the beginning of the gospel. This is the beginning of the Christian life. The beginning of the Christian life doesn't start with you. It starts with Jesus and what he is serving, how he is, what he has done and is doing for you. So you have to leave off yourself. I'm, I am among you as the one who serves. And as the one who serves, what has the Lord done? Well, the word became flesh. 
and dwelt among us. He tabernacled here that the King of glory, the the eternal Son of God, took on a human nature. He's truly God and truly man in order to redeem His people. He saw that the children partook of flesh and blood, so He partook of the same. Hebrews chapter 2, 14-15. That He came to redeem, and the part of that says, I'm going to lessen myself, sort of. I'm going to take on this human flesh. I'm going to take on human limitations. He doesn't just... I'm so amped up. He doesn't just seem to be a person. He doesn't just seem to be a man, but He's really a man. He comes to serve. And the first way that he serves in time and space is that he takes on flesh. And he takes on all of the frailties without sin. He doesn't have sin, but he takes on our, you know, our limitedness in terms of I'm, I'm only at one spot at one time. You might not know that about your pastor. I, I'm not in multiple places at, at the same time. Um, I can only have as many minutes as you. Right? We all are limited by time. We're all limited by space in ways that God is not. We're all limited in terms of, uh, I can only run on, uh, on, I can't, you know, I run on Duncan. I can only run on a, for a certain amount of time on food. Now, my body thinks that that time is much uh, shorter than it actually is. Like, I could survive much longer than I believe I could without food. Um, Jesus' human body is the same. His, he needed water. He needed food. He, he experienced the, the, not just the limitations of the physical body, but he experienced the limitations of living in a fallen world, surrounded by a bunch of sinners like us. So he, the first way that he, he takes on the posture of service is he becomes incarnate, takes on flesh. But as we kind of press into particularly what's happening in, in this last week of Jesus' life, that Jesus' service his, is not only when he, he is incarnate with us, where he identifies with us. I don't have time to preach that message, right? But Jesus identifies with us, not just in the abstract theoretical, but God knows you because of Christ, right? He, he, he has a body just like you. Has, by the way, for all of eternity. He, he, didn't, he didn't leave that thing in the tomb and rise in spiritual etherealness. But Jesus has a body and he's coming back in a body. That wasn't part of the sermon, but. Um, but he comes as the one who serves and he serves by giving us a kingdom. Verse 29, this kingdom meal of the Lord's Supper is, part, is, a, is imagery that he is where is it that he says, little children, that the Father delights, desires to give you the kingdom. That we have been given the kingdom. We've been given the inheritance of Jesus. Paul tells the, the Corinthians this. All things are yours in Christ. So we, we've been given a kingdom. He fulfills the promises of God in verse 37, right? For, for I tell you, that which is written about me must be fulfilled. I was numbered with the transgressors. So he identifies with us in our humanity, but something else is happening there. He doesn't just identify with us in our humanity. He identifies with us in our sin. Not by partaking in sin himself, but by taking on our sin upon him. And when we think about that Jesus is serving us, he is um, 
taking on and identifying with us in our humanity and in our sin. So his substitutionary work is not just at the cross. It's primarily at the cross. But everything that he begins to experience, everything, the agony of Gethsemane that we sing about, the, the droplets of sweat, a blood-filled sweat falling in verse 44. The betrayal by Judas. He is beginning to identify with our sin by bearing it. He's coming under the yoke of our sin. It's a yoke that he will carry to the cross but he comes under it in Gethsemane with this radical surrender. He serves us by identifying with us. He serves us by identifying with our sin that he's going to be numbered among the transgressors. But he serves us by surrendering to his Father's will. Verse 42, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. This is the plan of God for the redemption of sinners. And Jesus surrenders himself to it. He serves us. I mean, just, if I could leave no other picture in your head, that Jesus comes as the busboy to the table of your life to sweep up your garbage. All the food you didn't eat, all the mess, the crumbs, and the, the goop that didn't quite make it into your mouth. It's there on the table. And Jesus says, while you're, while you're doing your conversation, you're living your life, some of you, totally oblivious to what Christ has done, is doing for you. He's there, he's there taking up the muck and the mire. And he says, not my will, but yours be done. But as he enters into the betrayal, he experiences betrayal. He experiences denial, the betrayal of Judas and the denial of Peter. He begins to stand in the stead of us as we are the ones in our sin who have betrayed God. We are the ones in our sin who have denied God. When you see these things, it's so easy to say, look at how Jesus is being the victim, which he is. But what you also need to see is that the betrayal of Judas, as egregious and awful as it is, is of the same ilk. It's of the same rotten tree of sin that we have lived out. The denial of Peter as we continue to labor in our sins, Christians. He identifies with us in our sin as he experiences all of these manifold expressions of sin. The mockery, the betrayal, the denial, the miscarriage of justice. All the things that sin has entered into this world. All the things that we ourselves have perpetrated. When you see the woundings of Christ, you see the, the travails before Pilate and the guards. You don't need to say, oh, woe is Jesus. 
Our response ought to be, oh, woe is me. For him to save us, this is the path he had to walk. His service isn't service with a smile yet. He does it for the joy set before him, remember Hebrews chapter 12. But his service is blood-stained and broken in betrayal. Here is the service of Jesus. And it had to be this way. It had to be this way. If Christ does not suffer as one who is numbered with the transgressors, numbered, counted among the sinners, then Jesus cannot offer sinners real redemption. But He serves us. Real life. Blood, sweat, tears. He serves us because He loves us. He serves us for the glory of God. So what do we do? Well, first of all, dear one, trust Jesus. Well, look at what he has. We're not even we're not even to the climactic moment of redemption. We're we're in the prelude. And you just you think about the emotional, mental, spiritual agony of the Lord Jesus and that he willingly, he willingly steps under that so that he might bring you to God. He is in the garden of Gethsemane, blood and sweat raining down his brow so that he might bring you to God because there's no other way for you to get there. There's no other way for me to get there unless the Son of God serves me in that way. He takes on the yoke of knowing the betrayal of Judas is coming with the dagger of a kiss so that He might bring you to God. He has His number one disciple bail on Him at the critical moment so that He might bring you to God. You need to tr- trust Him. And, and trusting Him means, I, Jesus has served me. I need to receive what He is giving. As He is numbered among the transgressors, He who knew no sin becomes sin. He became sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He became sin. He took on your sin. He took on your wickedness. He took on your betrayal and your denial and all the other manifestations of our sin. He took all of that on Him. He was counted among sinners so that He might be a friend of sinners who welcomes them back home to God. But dear one, you have to choose. You have to make a decision. You have to say, I'm going to lay down my war with God. I'm going to lay down my self-righteousness. I'm going to lay down whatever goodness I believe that I have so that I can receive. I've got to empty my hands to grab hold of what Christ is giving. That's part and parcel to our repentance. You can't come with all of your baggage. You can't come with all of your stuff and think you're going to have any room to receive. You have to lay down all of that stuff.
and to believe that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that whoever comes to him, he will certainly not cast out. That you will have a welcome spot with Christ. But you must come in faith. What else ought we to do? How else can we respond to this? Well, I think the first thing that we ought to, how we ought to respond to Jesus substituting himself, serving us in this way, is that we should worshipfully wonder at the grace of God toward us. If we are the betrayers, if we are the deniers, if we are the ones who have perpetrated treason against God, the God of glory, we don't deserve heaven for sure, and we don't deserve what Jesus, how Jesus serves us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us as a demonstration of the love of God. We certainly don't deserve that. And when we begin to be gripped by the grace of God and the gospel, dear ones, that loosens new worship in our hearts. New lives of gratitude for what we have received in Him. But then I think as we look at Jesus in suffering, serving us, having now, Christian, you've received what He's offered you. You've believed upon the name of the Lord Jesus. You've come with empty hands. Saying, I need Christ. I need forgiveness. I need new life. I need transformation. And having received that grace, now knowing that this world lives in the darkness, we should be willing not just to serve this world with the gospel when it's convenient, but we should be willing to serve this world when it causes us suffering. Because the mission of God to save you caused the Son of God suffering. Now, you're not dying for anyone, but taking the gospel into this world, people are going to mock you, they're going to shame you, they're going to try to cancel you out. But if you are bought by the blood of Jesus, then you must have a burden to say, I have to get this message out. I have to demonstrate the love of God. I have to serve as I've been served. If Jesus has so served me, why would I think that I'm any better? Why would I think I'm any better to pick up a plunger and plunge the poop of this world? Sometimes you got to do that in a church, by the way. <laughs> Graphic. But I'm not better, and you're not better. And don't despise the small things. Don't despise the small things that you have a neighbor who's grieving. And you've never really talked to them, but you know they've lost and they're suffering. It, it's very, very little cost for you to make a batch of Duncan Hines brownies and bring them over there. And say, I just, I just want to let you know I care about you. I know you're hurting. That's, that's small beginnings. But God does great things with mustard seeds if you've forgotten. It should prepare, looking at Jesus' suffering as he serves us, should prepare us to serve this world through suffering. And we could spend the rest of the day and the next and the next telling the stories of our brothers and sisters in the past and in the present who are literally suffering.
for the cause of Christ. They have laid down their lives so that other people can know. We are not better. And I think finally, the seeing how Jesus saddled up under suffering. And as the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus was perfected through what he suffered. Then we have to know that our life following Jesus in this world, whether we're bringing the gospel to other people or whether we're just simply trying to do our work well and love our families well and keep our house from falling down. That suffering's going to come. And following Jesus doesn't, is not an antidote for difficulty in this life. But if the Son of God is perfected through what He suffered, what does that mean for us? That God has redemptive, sanctifying purposes through the suffering that you will, that you have, that you will and are experiencing in this world. That for God's people... There is no suffering in vain. There is no in vain suffering. I don't say that lightly. I know many of your stories. I don't know them all. But I've shared many griefs with all of you. You've shared griefs with me. And we have to know that God works all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Even, even, even our sufferings. So when suffering comes, which it will, look to the Lord who has served you. And in fact, whatever this day may hold, look to the Jesus who has served you in such a way that he might bring you to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. For such grace this unmerited favor that you have given us, that we might have Jesus amongst us as the one who serves. Would you give us grace for those who are your people, that we would be among our neighbors as the one who serves, that we would be among our fellow church members as the one who serves, as so much as you have gifted and called us in the ways that you have burdened us in the context of the church and in the world, would we be those who are among this world, this time, as those who serve? But Lord, right now I want to pray for those who have not known you, or they've been holding up their baggage, commending their own righteousness, commending their own goodness, saying, I'm good enough, would you, would you welcome me in? Or they're, they're placing their hope today, That on the day that they die, they will be welcomed into heaven because they're good people. And I pray that they would be disavowed of that notion and know that today only those who have been served in grace by the Lord Jesus, who have received what he has offered, believed upon him and confessed him, only they will be welcomed before you in glory. I pray that you would rescue them from sin, rescue them from self-righteousness. That you would bring them to you. For Jesus, that is why you have died. To bring us to God. So Lord, in this moment as we respond, would you lead us and give us the ability to respond as you would have us. We would respond with new faith, with greater faith, with intentional service, 
with a new willingness to take up our cross, sufferings and the difficulties of this life, and follow you wherever you lead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.